This podcast is brought to you by Infosys, the global digital services and consulting partner of choice for the world's most powerful businesses. We enable clients in more than 56 countries to get more value from their digital transformation. We expertly steer them as they navigate their digital transformation powered by the cloud. At Infosys, we amplify human potential and create the next opportunity for people, businesses, and communities. Yossi Ovel is a scientist in Israel. He studies bat communication. And, uh, yeah, just one more comment. The cave itself, uh, you know, it's safe, there's no problem, but there are a lot of cockroaches, you'll see. It's not... Okay, okay, uh, so yeah. then... So don't uh, panic. Okay. He took our producer Percy's love to a bat cave outside Tel Aviv. Very humid, you will feel it. You know, smell, smelly probably. So not, not for people with a, with, a, with a weak heart. Okay, okay, this is a real test of my personality yeah, then. Exactly. <laughs> we drove to the cave where he catches these bats that he uses in experiments. We park up in the suburbs of Tel Aviv and clamber down this steep slope, which is covered in all this, like, tall, dry grass that goes over my head. We come out in this little clearing by the entrance of the cave. And we're right by the highway, so there's cars whooshing past. We dump our stuff, and Yossi has brought this big net with him, so he picks up the net and the two of us head inside. It was kind of like stepping into this big, hot, smelly breath, and there's this big, loose pile of dirt, which I think was mainly made up of bat poo, crawling with cockroaches. I was kind of scrambling around in the dark, trying not to fall over while I was recording, and Yossi was right at the back of the cave with his head torch on, and he was scraping his net against the rocks at the top, which was completely covered in bats. And because we've run in and disturbed them, they've all started flying out overhead. I can feel like wings flapping really, really close to me. My arms are getting pooed on, there's mosquitoes, and there's just this noise. Yossi uses artificial intelligence to decode what it is that these bats are saying. The bats he catches here, he takes back to the university to study. So for what is actually very high-tech research, this feels like very low-tech way of catching the bats. You know, he's got this huge net. It's kind of like a big butterfly net that you might expect a Victorian child would play with. So... After he's been scraping around at the back of the cave, Yossi's net is now full and it's just squirming with bats. So one and one. This is also male probably. And he starts to take them out and sort them into these pink pooch carriers, like the kind you'd use to carry your dog to the vet, but he's filling them up with bats. And you can see their little feet as they hang upside down off the meshing. But the real wonders of the cave are only captured by AI. Using the technology, 
Yossi and his team are hoping that they can understand the secrets of bat vocalizations. And the squeaking sounds that they're making. Yeah, those are like most of the vocalizations that we worked on are these aggressive vocalizations. When I say aggressive, usually they are emitted towards each other. So if one of them pushes the other, you know, then, uh, then the other will respond. Welcome to Tectonic, the technology podcast from the Financial Times. I'm John Thornhill, the FT's innovation editor. In the last episode, we asked if artificial intelligence will enable us to translate animal communication, even to speak to animals. We know from history that once a technology has been set in motion, it tends to run out of control. So in this episode, we ask, should we even be trying to talk to animals? We'll come back to the bat shortly. But first, remember Aza Raskin from the previous episode? He's the founder of Earth Species Project. They're building lots of the tech that could help to decode non-human communication. He's the one who says Transformers, the tech behind ChatGPT, really hold the key to understanding how animals talk. Well, at a recent presentation Aza gave, there was a moment that really struck me. He was talking about a day he spent on a boat tracking humpback whales. And we started the experiment, and our team was up on deck. We were just doing observation. We didn't know what the scientists were were playing. And out of the fog emerged a humpback, like mouth half open, lunging at the boat. Or like, well, we've never seen that behavior before. And then a couple seconds later, from the other side, the whale like lunged again. And the experiment ended, and the whale just beelined it out of there. And we're like, what happened? And we went down. We talked to the scientists, like, well, what were you playing? Um, and it turned out that we had recorded this hello the day before and we're playing back today. And accidentally, we were playing back the whale's own hello to itself. <laughs> Audio mirror. Um, the whale is named Twain. And our, our speaker, you saw, sort of small. Whales are big. And so when you listen to the recording, you hear us go, I'm Twain. And then the whale go, I'm Twain. I'm Twain. I'm Twain. Um, (laughs) Could you imagine how trippy that must be? Like how psychedelic to like have been living for 38 years, swimming through like dark seas and then suddenly encounter yourself? It was a funny story. But the reason Aza told that story is that it speaks to some of the ethical issues going on here. There's an inherent power imbalance to this situation. To humans trying to bridge the communication gap between our species and the non-human world. The thing is, we can't truly know the consequences of what it means to play back a whale's own voice to itself. Well, when I sat down with Aza in our London studio, I wanted to know if it was something he thought about too. Humans have been passing down culture vocally for 100,000 years, maybe 300,000 years. Whales and dolphins have been passing down culture vocally for 34 million years. He had a very clear example of what human interference in whale communication could do. We have to be very careful because, for instance, humpback whales, their song goes viral. So, for whatever reason, song song off the coast of Australia, Australian humpbacks are like the k-pop singers they 
will be picked up by much of the world population. There's a, um, a channel in the ocean called the Sofar Channel, acts sort of like a fiber optic cable, and whales will go down there and use it to sing halfway across an ocean basin, and that's part of the reason why like the songs can be picked up and moved across the ocean um, in in a season or two. So if we're not careful, we may create like a viral meme that infects a 34 million year old culture. We probably shouldn't do that. But the fact is, we've already opened the door on communicating with animals. As that communication gets more sophisticated with the help of AI, where might it lead? Well, it's not all bad news. Take the example of elephants. As humans encroach further into their natural habitat, elephants are increasingly found wandering into smallholder farms in search of food. Often, to save their crops from being trashed, farmers shoot the elephants when they approach. But then a scientist called Lucy King found a harmless way of repelling elephants, using their own language. You see, elephants are afraid of bees, and even have a specific warning call for bees. That's the call. That means bee. By recording those sounds and playing them on the edge of farms, scientists created sonic fences to repel the animals using their own calls. And it's not just speaking to animals that could help with conservation. So there are many, many ways right now where um, low-cost automated monitoring of non-human sound could rapidly enhance um, biodiversity conservation. Really important because of the, this massive, unprecedented sort of mass extinction we're experiencing on the planet. That's Karen Becker. She's a leading voice in the field of bioacoustics and author of The Sounds of Life a book about the revolution in bioacoustics, covering everything from bats to whales. One of the examples I love is currently taking place off the east coast of North America in the Gulf of St. Lawrence, where highly endangered right whales have been uh, suffering through ship strikes, traffic accidents, and using bioacoustics to triangulate their location simply on the basis of, of listening to the whales. We can figure out where they are at any moment in time and transmitting that information to ship's captains in real time, um, and the ship captains then have to slow down, stop, move out of the way. That bioacoustics protection system has led to a remarkable result. Not a single North Atlantic right whale has died of a ship strike in that zone since this program was launched, and it may be the, the, the thing that actually saves this species. So new developments in monitoring technology have helped the whales. It's also creating a whole new field in agricultural science. Earlier this year, an Israeli scientist called Lilak Hadani discovered that plants appear to speak. That's a tomato plant signalling it's not got enough water. Turns out, plants make sounds we can't hear but machines can. That's what a grapevine sounds like as it's being cut. The Israeli scientist ran those sounds through an AI program, which confirmed that, yes, the plants are making noises, but also that these sounds are communicating something. How do they know? 
Well, tomato plants make different sounds depending on their condition. A diseased plant sounds different from one that doesn't have enough water. Think of the benefits, the potential for cutting down on insecticide use, for keeping fields of crops healthy. Still, as Karen Becker told me, it doesn't take a great leap of imagination to imagine how, say, humans using AI to speak elephant might lead to a very different sort of outcome. Precision hunting or poaching, which would accelerate biodiversity loss, particularly of endangered species, there's too much potential for this to be used to lure elephants or rhinos, for example, um, by poachers. Um, there's too much potential to lead animals astray, particularly we've got this huge problem of uh, climate refugees at the moment as climate change is causing a lot of species to change their habitat. In other words, the question is, can we trust ourselves to speak to animals? New technology always comes with new risks. And more often than not, we don't know what those risks are until it's too late. So let's go back to Aza Raskin, who we heard from earlier. Aside from Earth Species Project, which is looking to bridge communication between us and the non-human world, he's also the co-founder of something called the Centre for Humane Technology. He puts a lot of thought into how to prevent the negative impacts of technology. In a way, I mean, this reminds me a bit of the conversation about deepfakes, mm. um, that, you know, creating a kind of synthetic beluga uh, is a kind of animal deepfake in mm -hmm. a way, isn't it? And do you think uh, that the same kind of moral issues that apply to this, that we shouldn't try to pass off uh, or trick um, a beluga into thinking that they're communicating with someone who is not a beluga? I think that's a great point. I think the general principle here is the sort of wonky term of fiduciary, which is to say, how do you act in someone else's best interest? When you go to see a therapist, they sort of have a asymmetric amount of power over you. They need to act in your best interest. I think the same rules need to apply both for humans and for animals, that when we use technology that has a asymmetric power, you need to be bound to using that power for the best interest of those who you're interacting with. But in, in a sense, we just won't know, will we? Um, I mean, if we can begin to communicate with beluga, uh, we don't, or the whales that have been speaking this way for 34 million years, we don't know whether we're going to interfere with their communication patterns. No? Yeah, we have to be very careful. It's true. And so one of the ways we're thinking about this is starting with animals that are already being studied in captivity so that you can't create something that goes viral in the wild. And then as you start thinking about moving towards more wild animals, can you start with calls that do not go viral, um, that aren't socially learned? Um, and as we build up knowledge, maybe there will come a time when we understand enough that we can attempt two-way communication in a way that has sufficient amount of safety. Aza reckons this technology can be safe, so long as we follow what he calls the three rules of technology. The first rule is when you invent a new technology, you uncover a new species of responsibility. And it's not always obvious what those responsibilities are, right? We didn't need the right to be forgotten written into law until the internet could remember us forever. We didn't need the right to have privacy written into law until the first mass-produced camera. So that's sort of rule one. Rule two is if the technology confers power, it will start a race. And rule three is if you do not coordinate, the race often ends in tragedy. 
And so I think the responsibility then for creating a new technology is to look for the responsibilities you've uncovered, figure out how people are going to race to use it for power, and then coordinate to stop it. But legislation is often too slow, too late, and not properly implemented. Think about the ways we have messed up with technology in the past. You just have to look at our environment or social media to know that policies preventing the negative impacts of technology happen after the fact, not before. But let's assume we get the ethics right. How would that conversation with an animal even go? Which brings us back to bat expert Yossi Oval, after he and our producer Persis got back from the bat cave. After they'd wiped the bat poo off their arms, they sat down to discuss Yossi's research. Yossi sat on the other side of the desk from me. He's tapping away on his computer and he is showing me different videos of bat vocalizations. This movie, I'll send you this. This is uh, typical for them before they fall asleep. And I think it's quite clean. You see, the sound is, is very clean. It's the same sound that we listen to. You see, they're fighting over where they will uh, be positioned. Bat pups actually learn language in the same way that humans do, by babbling with their kind of parent bats. And it also turns out that bats have kind of an individual voice or a vocal signature, as it's called. So you can tell which bat is speaking, essentially. And they also use, like, different registers of formality. So depending on their relationship to the bat that they're interacting with, they might kind of take a more formal or less formal tone. If you think of me saying good morning to you, we've just met, so I don't know you, or saying good morning to a very good friend, it would probably sound differently, right? So maybe that's what we're extracting, something like that. And then Yossi told me about this experiment that he had done a few years ago. So the bats that he studies are Egyptian fruit bats. As we heard in the cave, they make these different types of calls, which are aggressive calls. Yossi wanted to find out whether they could distinguish between different types of aggressive calls. We've done this using AI, so we're using machine learning. And we did it by annotating. So we had to actually observe a lot of interactions, thousands of interactions, and to try to say what is the context. So he actually found that these Egyptian fruit bats make different calls depending on the context of what they're fighting about. So over food, over sex, over space, and over sleep. What's particularly interesting about this experiment is that Yossi actually did it a few years ago. So the AI programs that he was using are now kind of old. And with the recent changes to artificial intelligence and the potential that researchers think this holds for actually decoding animal language, Yossi's thinking of taking that same data set that he used for that previous experiment and running it through these new AI programs to see if it throws up any new results. Truth is, I don't think they will uh, dramatically change what we found. Maybe they will improve our findings a little bit. I don't think they're going to revolutionize uh, our findings. Yeah, so tell me a bit more about that, because, you know, there are people working in this space that say that, um, you know, within AI, along came Transformers, and suddenly we will be able to really, really yeah. understand animal languages in a way that we hadn't before, and even to the extent that yeah. you could have an AI algorithm that, can speak back to or can understand things that we can't understand. Yeah. Yeah. So a lot of people ask me, you know, when will we be able to translate bat to human language? When will we be able to talk with them? And I, I think there are a few limitations. 
that are there and, and they're not uh, going to be removed using AI. So definitely it's going to provide new information, but I don't think it will allow us to talk with animals, at least not in the sense that the public is thinking. He doesn't think that AI is going to have us talking to animals, mainly because maybe animals just actually don't have that much to share with us. You know, when we talk about uh, talking to animals, you know, we want to ask our animals, how do you feel today, right? Or, or you know, have you seen that? Or what have you done yesterday? Now, the thing is, if animals don't talk about these things themselves, there's no way to talk with them about it. So he wasn't trying to say that animals are stupid or that they don't have a complex consciousness, but it's more just that our human worldview and the animal worldview are just so different that, you know, will we have anything to say to each other and will we even be able to understand each other? How can I talk with this uh, creature about, uh, I don't know, uh, peace in the Mediterranean, right? It's impossible. So obviously as humans, we talk, right? We communicate with our voices. So vocalizations and capturing audio is something that we can actually understand. And it's something that we can we can record easily. But as Yossi said, some animals communicate in vastly different ways. Like animals communicate through scent, some animals create electrical fields, and some even create seismic waves. And because of the way that the data has to be fed into these AI programs, which is through scientists labeling, you know, the context of it or when it occurred, well, there's never really going to be any way of removing human bias. Maybe they have just seen the magnetic field of Earth, which some animals can, and they're communicating about it. And I just, I will never know this because, you know, I cannot measure everything. Even, you know, people think we'll measure everything and put it into AI machines. We're not even close to there, okay? Maybe in a million years, but we're not close to being there. Basically, what I'm getting from what you're saying is even though AI will, like, take us on, you know, like, furthers dramatically what we are able to understand, ultimately, still, its limitations are the limitations of us and our ability to perceive what the animals might perceive. Yeah, I, I agree. I agree. I think, again, as I said, there's several fundamental limitations that are just inherent to the system, right? The fact that animals don't talk about stuff that we want to talk with them about will never change, right? So without, it doesn't matter what type of algorithms we'll use, we will never be able to joke with our cat about stuff that it doesn't uh, think of or it's not aware of, it can't, you know, joke about them. And why why do you think we should try and understand animal communication? Um, you know, I'm a basic uh, scientist, what we call, I do basic research, and we never ask the, the why question. We do it because we're interested, because it's, we're curious about the world, we want to understand the world, and, um, you know, later on, it might be very beneficial for us. For centuries, philosophers have debated what it would be like to inhabit other minds. Thomas Nagel speculated about what it would be like to be a bat, Ludwig Wittgenstein famously wondered whether we could understand a lion, even if we could talk to one. Is human experience unique? Do we share similar thoughts with other species? How might speaking to other animals change how we think about our own place in the world? Thanks to the recent advances in acoustic hardware and artificial intelligence software, we might be about to find out. Before we go... While we were putting this series together, we heard some very sad news. Karen Backer, the bioacoustics expert that you heard from in this series, 
passed away unexpectedly. Because the conversation was so fascinating, we've released my full interview with Karen as an additional episode. It is our tribute to her and her work. As you'll hear, we covered a lot of ground, including humans' latent capacity for listening to nature. Indigenous knowledge uh, reveals that human listening capacities can be cultivated to be far more sensitive than we experience in Western societies. And as Indigenous communities show us, there are other forms of deep listening that are also very powerful forms of revealing um, the hidden sounds of nature. For the whole conversation with Karen Becker, check out the additional episode in the Tectonic feed. You've been listening to Tectonic from the Financial Times with me, John Thornhill. I've put some free links related to this episode in the show notes. Do check them out. And do leave us a review. It helps spread the word. This series of Tectonic is produced by Persis Love, with thanks to Edwin Lane and Josh Gabadoyon. Manuela Saragosa is the executive producer. Sound design is by Breen Turner and Samantha Giovinco. Original music by Metaphor Music. And the FT's head of audio is Cheryl Brumley. This podcast is brought to you by Infosys, the global digital services and consulting partner of choice for the world's most powerful businesses. We enable clients in more than 56 countries to get more value from their digital transformation. We expertly steer them as they navigate their digital transformation powered by the cloud. At Infosys, we amplify human potential and create the next opportunity for people, businesses and communities. (music) 